podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Well, um, about three hours ago, I watched back the weekend match, so not great. Oh, God. Oh, God. No, no, no. Absolutely not. There is not enough money in the world that could get me to sit through that entire shit show again. Um, I, I still can't believe we lost. Like, I've been thinking about it since. We made Serge Aurier, who's really poor, and Steve Cook, who's awful, look like Tessati and Costa Curta, the right-hand side of the great AC Milan defence, because we insisted on doing everything down their left, which is where their better players were. Uh, Jürgen has come out with some bizarre statements since the game about how the crosses were perfect, the set pieces were perfect, like, this is part of the problem, Jürgen. We seem to have no other way to create a goal other than spamming crosses and set pieces into the box. So I think he might need to have himself a big sleep. Maybe he should stay at home this week when the team travels to Ajax, or travels to Amsterdam to play Ajax, and just get a big rest. Get himself a nice big rest. Let someone else look after things. Because clearly the manager is absolutely shattered with how this season's going. Yeah, well, I mean, the rest of us are, so he shouldn't really be any different because he's watching, presumably, the training, which is must be must be at the same sort of level uh, at least some of the time. So I, I, I mean, he said, "What is it today?" He said something about my job is to find solutions, but it, so far we're kind of seeing the same thing over and over again, and that's the thing that really frustrates me and is really the only thing that concerns me. Like over the longer term, a whole season and beyond. I, I kind of accept that there's going to be you know, some shit days and there's going to be some bad runs of form and there's going to be frustrations and injuries and all those things. But what I don't like is when nothing changes about it, when you're in these ruts or you have obvious problems and things are not done to combat them directly. And that is my biggest annoyance at this moment in time because we are seeing things done over and over and over and over and over and over again. And some of the time it's the defensive work with the lack of tracking runners from deep and the same types of chances conceded over and over again. And at the minute this season, we're also seeing at the other end of the pitch as well. And that's a worry. That's more of a worry for me because it's not showing that there is a plan to do something better. It's just that we think that this is still the right way and it'll work eventually. Yeah, it is. It's almost like they're surprised that doing the same rudimentary nonsense that has never really worked isn't working. Um, when you're launching crosses in at Mo Salah and Bobby Firmino, who are being physically dominated by McKenna and Cook, and you've got Coyate dropping back in from Forrest, 
you're never ever going to have success doing that when you're putting balls to the back post for Fabio Carvalho against Serge Aurier. You're not going to have any success doing that. It's I, the thing is, there wasn't even good crosses in the game, so I'm not really sure what he's talking about. There was one Milner cross that Van Dijk, I think, tried to head back across the goal. If he was heading at the goal, it's probably the worst header I've ever seen. Um, and there was a couple of decent set pieces, but our open play crosses, by and large, were dreadful. So I don't even know what Jürgen's talking about with, with regards to if the crosses were perfect and the man was in the perfect position, it's just bad luck or whatever it is that he said. Um, but he needs to start having a real deep look at himself as well because this is just unacceptable, Carl. We're in eighth position in the Premier League. Fulham are ahead of us. Fulham are not good. United are ahead of us by four points. They're not good. Chelsea are ahead of us by five points. I'm sorry, they're not good either. Neither are Newcastle, neither are Tottenham. This is not a vintage Premier League with eight really good teams in it. There is one really good team in City and one team that's had a really good start of the season in Arsenal. And after that, it's varying degrees of mediocrity. But right now, we're as many points behind Tottenham, who are third, as we are ahead of Nottingham Forest, who are bottom and just beat us at the weekend. And that's an unacceptable position for this team to be in after 11 games. There's no excuse. I don't want to hear about injuries. I'm sick to the back teeth of hearing about, oh, this player is injured and this player is injured. Let's run through the list of Liverpool players who are currently injured. Joel Matip. Are we surprised that Joel Matip is injured? Are we surprised that Nabi Keita is injured? Are we surprised that Ibu is injured? Are we surprised that Thiago is injured? Are we surprised that Jota is injured? These are all players with extensive track records of being injured. Now, the Arthur situation is, is very unfortunate, but let's be fair. He was fit for weeks, or fit to play. How fit he was in terms of being able to last in the match, we don't know. He didn't get a look. He sat on the bench, and James Milner was brought on over him. There's Luis Diaz. He's the only one who's out injured. That's a bit surprising. Well, that's actually very surprising. But his was an impact injury. That's one injury that you couldn't have planned for. Everybody else, you should be planning for these players to get hurt because these players get hurt every year. The same with Ox, who's just back. He gets hurt every year. Henderson's had an injury this season. Gets hurt every year. So you've built a squad that's now too old for purpose, not quite good enough for purpose, and is riddled with injury-prone players. You don't get to complain about injuries when your players have track records of injuries. You need to plan accordingly. I actually saw a list on um, this is Anfield this morning uh, about the players who have not been injured so far this season, and there's only eight in the first-team squad. And of those eight, one is Adrian, who's a third-choice goalkeeper. One is Nat Phillips, who is a fifth-choice centre-back and wouldn't have been here anyway. Uh, one is Joe Gomez, who has always had quite a lot of injuries. So if that's at least another three of them, you would expect to either not really be involved or pick up an injury at some point. 
Not really got very much to, to go on in terms of the squad who will be fully fit and available all year long. And one of those, uh, another one, is James Milner. So again, there's not someone we should be relying on and in the last couple of years has had more injuries as well. Yeah, he had he had like 11 injuries in a, in a 12-month period at one point. Now, some of them were like a head wound and he missed one game and then he was back and things like that. But James Milner is 46 years of age and is frequently injured. You know, you you go up and down, like, Ali's had injury problems in the last couple of years. Joe is always injured. Fabinho gets injured at least once a season. Virgil had one big injury, but he doesn't have uh, an extensive track record. But Ibu does, Thiago does, Milner does in recent years, Naby does. Bobby in recent years has started to pick up muscular injuries. Salah is unbreakable. Adrian, like you said, third choice keeper. Henderson is injury prone. Ox is injury prone. Curtis Jones gets hurt every year. Harvey is not injury prone. He did have the one big injury, but again, it's an impact injury. Jota is injury prone. Costas, I don't think. I don't know whether I'd say Jones is injury prone. He's prone to things happening to him. Yeah, he's he's prone (laughs) to picking up injuries. Every year he seems to get something. And it's it's always a weird thing. Last year he missed three months with an eye injury. Eye, concussion, COVID, and now whatever this latest cause of it has been. It's, yeah. it's a very odd run for him. I've I, I got one one number here or a stat which is going to point out just how um, unavailable I think a lot of people have been with how often Fabinho has not been playing this season because he's been out of form, he's been out of the team a few times and all the rest of it. He's still played the fourth highest minutes out of everybody yeah. in the squad for us. Fourth! And one of them is the yeah. goalkeeper. He's made this. He made sixteen appearances. Ridiculous! It's outrageous. He's like he's had like, and he, he's in the worst form of his life, and yet he's playing that much because he has to, because there's nobody else. You know, you keep going down. Jota are Costas not injury prone. Diaz not injury prone, but injured at the moment. Robbo wouldn't say he's injury prone, but he picked up an injury last year and now an injury this year. Um. Darwin has that one big knee injury in his past, but I wouldn't class him as injury prone. Carvalho is a child and not injury prone. Matip injury prone. Bobby Clark is a child. Basetic is a child. Nat Phillips is a grok and the fifth choice centre back. And then Trent, who over the last couple of years has had some injury issues. He missed a chunk of last season. He missed a chunk of the season before. Um, it's not great. It really isn't great. When you look at our squad, you've got Mo, a couple of others who pick up one-off kind of impact injuries, a bunch of players that can't stay fit, and some children. And then a couple of lads you just wouldn't want to use. Like, you wouldn't want to be putting Nat Phillips into a game. You wouldn't want to be putting um, Adrian into a game. But everybody else, there's there's an issue with bar Mo. Like, how have we built this squad? How is this what we've ended up with? I don't know. It's um, I do think that the the regeneration of the middle of the park, especially, is something that's been left like two years past when it should have started at the very least. Um, I mean, we yeah. we talked for what two summers, I think, about doing the forward line, and nothing happened. Obviously, now we've done two components in the last six months, which is fine if you need to catch up at that rate. But that's a big, big outlay for one area of the pitch. It's like what 
it's part of 120 million it all in by the time everything is is paid for 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 Darwin and for Diaz. Um, if you need to do that again in a short space of time for the midfield, I think it becomes problematic for Liverpool because we're not able to sell the players as we did at the beginning of this sort of um, putting together the club, let's say. We've not really got the big fees in for a couple of years yet uh, now, so it's going to be a, an interesting one. I think Trent in, in particular, the injuries are, I wouldn't say because he's injury prone, but I would say it's probably due to a lot of overuse over the last three years yes. and no real backup or alternative for him. So I don't think that we have any right to expect that to not happen across the course of the season. Of course, again, he's getting overplayed. Come in. Yeah. And the thing is, like in recent years, our backups to Trent have been James Milner, who's a midfield player, and Joe Gomez, who's a centre-back. So we've always been robbing Peter to pay Paul in order to give Trent a break. And you mentioned there, and oh, we did buy Calvin Ramsey in the summer, and he's been basically injured since we bought him. I think he's played one game for the 21s. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe somebody should be looking at our process when we buy players uh, of, you know, assessing their injury track record. To my knowledge, the Ramsey one is basically was growing pains and stuff like that. It wasn't anything to, to be concerned about, but in terms of a lot of the others... We do need to be maybe a bit more careful moving forward. But you mentioned we haven't been able to sell players to, you know, fund new signings. And you are absolutely correct. We've obviously, there's a plane after flying overhead and Molly has deemed that they've come too close to the house. Um, So that's, if you heard that yell in the background, that's what that was. Um, If you look at our squad now and look at the players that, aren't first choice and could potentially bring a decent fee. So you're never selling Ali. Joe Gomez is one. He's nominally the fourth choice centre-back. You could sell him, but then you'd need to put quite a bit of that money back into replacing him. And the question is, after the injury issues, what kind of value would Joe have? You're not going to sell Fab, Virgil, Ibu, Thiago. Milner has no value. Nabi Keita, we've allowed to, to go into his last year of his contract, so he's going to leave for free. Um, Bobby is in the last year of his contract and likely leaves for free. You're not selling Salah. Adrian has no value. Henderson has no value. Oxlade-Chamberlain, last year of the contract, going to leave for free. Curtis Jones, I don't really know what kind of fee you get for him. He is English, he is homegrown, he's a young midfield player. But when you compare him to other midfielders in the same age bracket, the likes of Michael Alise, the likes of uh, Jacob Ramsey at Villa, he's several levels below where they are right now. Harvey Elliott, he could bring a fee. What would it be? I, I think you'd get decent money for him. But, you know... Jota, you're not selling. Costas, you could sell, and I think you'd get good money for Costas, maybe twenty million. Uh, you're not selling Diaz. You're not selling Robbo. You're not selling Darwin. You could flip Carvalho, but we've only just bought him. Arthur, we don't own. I don't know what value Joel Matip would have uh, with the injury problems and in his age. You might get fifteen million for him. Bobby Clark is a child. Basetich is a child. We've been trying to give Nat Phillips away for three years and no one wants to buy him. And you can't sell Trent. So you've got a handful of players there. Joe, Curtis, Harvey, 
and maybe Carvalho and Matip. Five players and Costas, six players that you could sell. And Cuevin Kelleher, I suppose, would make seven. He just hasn't played yet this season because, by the way, he's also injury prone. That's seven players you could sell. But if you sell any of them, you have to A, replace them, and then funnel whatever money is left back into the team. And B, you have to try and get the best value for them. And I don't know that any of them bring in individually big money. Definitely not. And definitely not to the extent that, you know, would allow us to reinvest in two players in the way that we did before. Um, you know, that was obviously the, the Coutinho being the, the prime example, but we've done it quite a lot of times with like squad players and returning off loan players and that sort of thing. And we don't have that group anymore. We don't really have the, the Gruich, Wilsons, that kind of age group who are not kids and well experienced, but time to move on. We haven't got any of those left anymore. They've now all been sold other than Phillips, who obviously isn't on loan this year. So we are going to have to find different ways of doing so. And obviously the main way of raising funds is being in the Champions League, which is A, pertinent to this podcast, and B, not something we're looking like doing too easily at the minute. No, exactly. I mean, our current list of loan players, Orzinski, Bradley, Balagizzi, uh, Kemetio, Pitaluga, Lewis, Yaros, Arreo, Beck, Williams, Morton, Clarkson, Vandenberg, Byrne, Glatzel, O'Rourke and Waltman, if you could get 15 million for that group combined right now, given their age and their experience level and the clubs they're currently on loan at, I would be quite surprised. And I reckon most of it would come from Tyler Morton and Seb Vandenberg. So we don't have the value out on loan at the moment to bring back and try and sell. We don't have the value in the squad to sell. Anyone we do have do sell we'd have to replace, and frankly, to replace some of them, like, for example, Joel Matip, the cost of the player brought in to replace him would be more expensive than what you'd get for him. So what's the point? Um, The one I think probably would have the most value to us in terms of selling is probably Harvey Elliott, because I think, but I think his value would be in putting him into a deal to get someone back. So putting him into a Jude Bellingham deal to reduce the money fee. And I think you could reduce it maybe by like 25 million by putting in a Harvey Elliott. Or if it was Michael Elise, put him into that kind of deal. And again, you're reducing the fee. But it doesn't really help us in the long term. It's a one in, one out. Now it's an upgrade. They're both Those players would both be upgrades on Harvey. But from a numbers point of view, you're still in the same position you're in now, um, which isn't great. And uh, as you said, our best way of raising money, though it hasn't really helped in terms of being able to spend money in recent years, has been to get into the Champions League. And right now, as we sit eighth, again, that's eighth in the Premier League, um, four points outside the top four, would have been one point if we hadn't, soiled ourselves at Nottingham Forest would have been one point and with the ability to go ahead of Chelsea and Newcastle if we'd beaten Chelsea. Um oh sorry, no, it would be two points we'd be two points, two points. But we could have gone fourth by beating Chelsea in our game in hand over Newcastle. So instead we're five points out and not looking good, not looking like a team with any confidence. We do get leads at home next. 
they're awful. Uh, they have lost four in a row, which means that they'll probably get a draw at Anfield. Then we get Spurs away. Now they did they did lose to Newcastle yesterday. They have had a really poor run with three defeats in their last five games. So they're you know they're a little bit vulnerable maybe, but who knows by the time we play them. And then Southampton at home, who are the weirdest fucking team in the division and could get spanked 6-0 in each of their next two games and then turn up at Anfield and get a draw, because that's what Southampton do. It's not looking pleasant, Carl. It's not looking good for us and the Champions League this year, unless there is investment in January and we go out and bring in at least one, but ideally two players that can come in and make an instant impact. At least one starting-caliber midfielder, and ideally someone that can play a little bit in midfield, a little bit in attack, and give us a bit more depth, a bit more variety, a bit more ready-made quality, rather than relying on kids like Elliot and Carvalho. Um, it's just not ideal. And our best route into next year's European Cup might well be to win this year's European Cup. Now, our 2022-23 European Cup journey continues with Ajax this week. Ajax are a bit of a strange team. They've been really good in their last two league games. They have scored, actually, in their last three league games, to be fair, they've scored 15 goals. Um, They beat Walwick 4-1 at the weekend, beat Excelsior 7-1 the week before, and Volendam uh, 4-2 the week before that. Now, you can scoff at those results as those are all teams that sit at the bottom of the Eredivisie, Volendam. Well, to be fair, Walwick and Excelsior are mid-table, but Volendam are bottom. But we just lost to the bottom team in our league, so can't say too much. Their Champions League season hasn't been ideal. Uh, they did beat Rangers 4-0 in the first game. Uh, goals from Alvarez, Berghaus, Kudus and Bergvine. But then lost 2-1 at Anfield. Got absolutely walloped by Napoli. At home, 6-1, having gone 1-0 ahead. And then lost 4-2 in Naples. But in truth, Napoli went 2-0 up early and kind of took the foot off the gas and only scored their second and fourth goals in response to Ajax scoring. That could have been another absolute hiding. But with their recent league form, they seem to have settled on a on a, a starting eleven in the last two games. They've got to be favourites in this game, considering how poor we've been and, and the malaise that we seem to find ourselves stuck in. Yeah, um, I'm not sure I'd go quite as far as favourites, but I definitely think this is an even match. Um, obviously, them being at home, them being in a position where they can kind of just forget everything other than going all out to win, because that's what they have to do. Uh, and us, it very much depends on which version of us turns up, I think. If we are... Uh, and disciplined and well organised and you know don't go too crazy about trying to score three goals or something like that not that that's been any kind of danger recently at all um, we should be alright I mean we have just got to not lose and we're fine, we're done I know that's not obviously the, the mentality to take into the game but it's you have to bear in mind in terms of your shape and where you are off the ball and all the rest of it play your game but play sensible approach uh, a European match is obviously very different to the relentlessness of the league. So 
if we are full of effort and full of endeavor, endeavor and are organized and all the rest of it, I don't think that we'll have a problem. What I think I've noticed from IX watching a couple of the league games, watching their European matches, is that they look like what they are, a, a really talented team, but they've had a lot of change. And it looks like quite a few games you'll see them and the combination play is really good and the rotations of positions is really good. And everybody knows where they're supposed to be, but it breaks down sometimes on and off the ball. And that's because they've lost, obviously, a lot of key personnel with the transfers mm. that they had out. Uh, they've obviously replaced quite well in the main, I think, um, with the people yeah. who have come in and with the, the players that they've brought through and given a, a more uh, senior role this year in the team. But it does still take a bit of time to get back to where they want to be and a new coach and everything else as well. So I'm not surprised at the top because I think that they're the best team in the area of busy by a bit of a distance, to be fair. Um, I, I don't see this PSV team being quite on the same level as they have. No, they're the very average years. this year. Yeah. PSV are very average this year. Yeah, but um, on the European scene, I think it's it's probably that which has left Ajax a little bit even behind ourselves because we're not having, a, you know, to be honest, we're not having a good year at all. But we are even so capable of being better than they are because I do think that they've struggled to put against the better sides more consistency together. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned their summer and like they had a lot of upheaval in the summer. Obviously, Ten Hag. Uh, takes the United job and Alfred Schroeder comes in to replace him. Um, Masraoui leaves for free to go to Bayern. Onana leaves for free to go to Inter. They sell Gravenberch. They sell Sebastian Haller. They sell Lissandro Martinez for over 50 million, which will never stop being funny. They sell Tagliafico for 4 million to Leon. His contract was running down, same as Gravenberch. They got lower fees than they would have 12 months ago, um, which wasn't obviously great um, great management by them. Per Schurz was sold on to Torino, having never really hit the heights that they'd hoped he would. And then they somehow swindled Manchester United out of 95 million euro uh, for Anthony, which, again, it just won't stop being funny, regardless of the fact that he scores a couple of fancy goals. They brought in Steven Bergwijn, from Tottenham, obviously didn't have a great time in the Premier League, but is a proven quantity in the Eredivisie, and I would suggest an upgrade on Anthony, given how they want him to play. More direct, more pacey, more of a goal threat. Uh, I think he's got more goals already this season than Anthony did in all of last season. Uh, they bring in Owen Wendell from Azel Alkmaar, really good young left-back, Probably not an upgrade on Tagliafico at the moment, but long-term they're projecting out that he will be. He's not starting for them at the moment. Calvin Bassey, I, I really like Calvin Bassey. I still don't understand what Brendan Rodgers was thinking, letting him leave Leicester for free. Rangers picked him up for nothing and made a really nice profit on him. I think he's a very good player with a big upside. Conceição, uh, son of Sergio, he's a talented winger, but he's a squad player. Um, they brought in Brian Brobby. This was a bit of their Paul Pogba moment, player that they let leave on a free uh, because they weren't giving him opportunities and he refused to sign a new contract. And then a year later, they bring him back for $16 million, uh, to replace Sebastian Haller. Now, Haller had a really special time at Ajax, really found his groove and started to show his all-round game that we didn't get to see, unfortunately, when he was at West Ham. Um Jorge San Sanchez, the Mexican right-back, I've been impressed with what I've seen from him. I'm not sure he's quite as good as Masraoui, but he is a good player. 
Uh, Kaplan, the young centre-back they brought in from Trabzonspor, hasn't established himself yet, but absolutely a talented player. And then Florian Grilich on a free, who, if it wasn't for the injury issues, would absolutely have attracted a move to a big club in a top-five league this year. Maybe not a Liverpool, a United, an Arsenal, whatever, but I could have seen someone like Newcastle going for him and bringing him in to give Bruno Gimeres that freedom to play a bit further forward. Or, you know, uh, an Atalanta bringing him in to replace someone like Remo Freuler. But the injuries meant that he wasn't getting the look, so he's gone to Ajax. All things considered, I think that's a very successful transfer window for them, especially when you factor in they made about $100 million in profit. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, it's a lot of work to get through as well. It's, you know, mm. it's obviously to awareness that they have of who they might lose and already have those replacements, potential replacements in place and lined up and, you know, the conviction about what they're choosing as well to spend the money they, that they did on some of them because you know bringing people in from the Premier League for example is not a normal thing for an Ajax or for an Eredivisie club uh, so it's it's pretty good persuasive work that they have obviously off the field and let's not forget mm. that again this is a club which not just the players and the coach but had changes to the sporting director last year um, obviously a lot of uncertainty over the longer term for people like Edwin van der Sar as well so it does show really good continuity, good planning, good awareness of what they can achieve. Um, I think most of the people they've brought in this year will be either very, very profitable for them or very, very good on the pitch, as they mostly have been already. Yeah, I mean, it didn't even stop with their the permanent signings. They made three really intelligent loan signings. Patrickson Delgado was a really exciting young forward player. Ecuadorian, brought in from Independiente Del Vela. Um, keep an eye on that club just for the next couple of years because there's an, an awful lot of buzz around their academy. They've produced in the last few years um, Moises Caicedo, um, Piero Hincapi, the centre-back slash left-back at Bayer Leverkusen. This kid and a few others who are in the national team, they've kind of been the the spark to the rise of the Ecuador national team. So. This kid is meant to be really, really talented. So keep an eye on him and keep an eye on that club if you hear players been linked from there to Europe. It seems to be that they've kind of hit almost a golden generation coming through. They brought in Lorenzo Luca from uh, Pisa on loan, 22-year-old, six foot seven Italian striker. Um, he's been around a bit, bit of a journeyman even at 22. Went through six different academies. Uh, was at Vicenza for a year, Torino for two years, but didn't really get a look there. Did well at Palermo um, and was pretty impressive for Pisa in limited minutes last season. He's another one that 
they seem quite high on. I think they've got an option to buy on him as well. And then one that really shocked me that they were able to go, you mentioned getting a player from the Premier League or buying from the Premier League. Just as impressive as kind of going and buying or, or getting players who are established in La Liga. And they brought in Lucas Acampos, um, season-long loan with an option to buy for 16 million euro. I think that's really good value. I know he's 28, but I really like him. I think he's a versatile, hardworking player that can just give you a very different look. And had played a really important role for Sevilla over the last couple of years. So to add him as well, I just think it's very, very impressive what they did and how aggressive they were in the market, just going out and getting the players they wanted. Like you said, knowing who they were going to lose or who they were likely to lose and then having plans in place all across the board as to who they wanted to go and get to replace them. I mean, they basically turned Anthony into Bergvine Ocampos and potentially a profit of 50 million euro. And that's phenomenal business at any level. Really, really good work. And I don't think that they've lost out in terms of, uh, let's say, final third output between the two of them. Certainly not. Bergwijn in particular has had a really, really good start. Obviously, they've brought him home, let's say, back to back to the area of the vision. I think he's probably someone who they think that they'll get a couple of really good years out of, but also could sell on again. You know, he could still make another move back to a top two or three league later Yeah, he's only 25. Yeah, so I, I think that there's, like I said, most of this work is, is sensational for them to continue their longevity. And then probably by the time they sell him, they'll have, you know, three more really, really good wide forwards coming through anyway, won't they? Because let's face it, it's Ajax, that's what they do. That is exactly what they do. And like, it's, it's immense how productive their own academy is. You look at even like Jurian Timber, he'll be the next big, big money sale. And considering what they got for Martinez, who isn't one of their own homegrown players, like that was one that they went and scouted in in, in Argentina and brought in. I think Timber is going to bring in a massive fee when he eventually leaves. I think I could see him bringing in 65, maybe 70 million euro. Um, to the right team, I think he can be sensational. I, I think he's got the potential to be, you know, what we look at Jules Kunde as now. That he's a little bit, you know, similar in time in terms of size, makeup, ideal in a back three, right side of a back three. But if you want like a lockdown right back in a back four, he can be that guy as well. Um, like with Martinez, I, I wouldn't be keen on him at centre back in the Premier League. And I get that United fans are all excited about Martinez because he's had a couple of good games, but he's also had a couple of stinkers. And, you know, he is getting shown up in the air when he has to compete in the air a lot. He avoids aerial duels so as to not get slaughtered. But when he does have to jump, it's not pretty. And we saw it against City. We saw it at the weekend even against a Chelsea team with no real physical presence up front he won one of three in the air and backed out of a couple more like timber i think could have a similar problem but unlike martinez he is rapid so he might be even better suited to the premier league but you know they're always going to be producing players i mean in the last few years look what they've brought through um it's it's staggering the talent that this club produces 
In the last couple of games, Carl, they have lined up with the same starting eleven. Uh, pass fear in goal. Uh, seems a promising young goalkeeper at 38 to, to really be elevating his career to new levels. Recently got his first Dutch cap as well. May well go to the World Cup as first choice. Um, Sanchez at right back, Timber and Blind as the centre-back pairing and Bassi at left back. Now, Bassi and Blind will swap during the game depending on whether they want more physicality in the middle or more control in that passing outlet. Um, Klassen, Alvarez and Berghaus in midfield that's not a midfield that would inspire you but it is a clever hard working midfield and I do think Alvarez is is a quality defensive midfielder if you remember when he first arrived he was playing centre back a lot and he was struggling there and once they moved him into midfield because Mar- it was actually Lisandro Martinez was playing the holding role and he was struggling there and there was questions over whether they'd messed up and bought two flops. Once they swapped them, both of them took off to new levels. Um, Klassen and Berghaus, I mean, there's, they've got good technique. They're intelligent. They've got bags of experience. They do what's asked of them. And then the front three, you get the creativity of Tadic, the pace and power of Brobby, the pace and power of Bergwijn. And it is a, a very dangerous attack with a lovely blend. Yeah, there's a lot to like about all of them um, individually. I think Adich obviously is one of the ones who sort of breaks the mould but has made the team, if you know what I mean, in terms of the signs that they bring in. He's not like a, a younger player, but he's one of the ones like David Klassen's another one who they've added. Obviously, Blind has been there a bit of a while now, but they bring them back to half guide and half produce, um, you know, consistently quite good performances, certainly domestically at the very least. And it kind of helps the continuity of the overall team structure as well when you've got maybe a, an unexpected sale of a really good young player or you've got to bring in two to replace one, that sort of thing. So those players who are more experienced and basically have probably tried to be at a big Champions League club elsewhere and not quite been able to be first choice, they're happy to be that here because they get a really, really important role in the team. They know they're going to play most of the time. They've got a chance to win titles and they play in a, a very fun side, of course. Really big stadium, really cool fans, really good everything, basically, with the, with the name associated with Ajax. Plus, go maybe once every two or three years, pretty decent run into the Champions League as well. Uh, I don't think that there's really a, a downside to this if, if they acknowledge that they're maybe not quite going to be at the level of a, let's say, a Juve, a, a Chelsea or whatever it is that they've come from and take this as the next best thing. And I think that they are really, really important to people like Brobby, to people like Kenneth Taylor, who's made a really big impact, mm. um, Hamad Kudus, for example, um, who could still be midfielder or forward for them. Uh, they're not always the, the very best players against the biggest sides, I don't think. Um, I think sometimes, although they help the, the structure of the team and the overall ability of Ajax to win and win and win, when it does come to these bigger games, I think sometimes you can see with people like Tadic why he didn't quite make it as a you know a starter in the Premier League every single yeah. week or that kind of thing. With Bergwijn as well, sometimes you can see probably that off-the-ball movement isn't quite there as good as, say, Son, for example, because he was at Spurs. So some of the times you can see in the biggest Champions League games why it hasn't happened for them yet or didn't happen for them in their career for the older ones like Klassen. But at the same time, they still have ability. They still have on-the-ball technique, which can trouble you if you're rubbish. 
at the point at the moment that's the issue for Liverpool, isn't it? Are we going to be that rubbish to let their good players show why they're good and their potentially brilliant young players have a field day? That's exactly the thing. And, you know, you mentioned um, Kudos. He hasn't been in the starting 11 the last couple of games, but, I mean, we've seen what that, that boy can do. We see The goal he got at Anfield was, was a sensation. Um, Kenneth Taylor, you mentioned, he's been really good this season. He's one that can come back in once he's fully fit and improve that midfield for them. Um, there's Devon Wrench, the the defend the right backs. He's he's another one that is a great option for them to have. There's Yuri Bass, the young left back, another very promising player. Yuri Rija, the midfielder, a right back, another really really promising young player. And they've got this lovely blend of those academy grown players, the youngsters that they go and find in varying parts of the world, whether it was Edson Alvarez or Mohamed Kudus brought from Mexico and Denmark, um, or these older players, like you mentioned, with, you know, Tadic, who quote-unquote flopped in the Premier League, largely because Southampton had no idea what to do with him. Um, Bergwijn, the, sa- the same, David Klassen. I know they didn't buy him directly back from the Premier League, but he was one that, hadn't made his mark. They did the same thing with Halar, flopped at West Ham. They brought him in, paid a club record fee. People thought it was a big risk. He banged in goals galore and they made a decent profit on him. Like they're just a really clever, smartly run club. And it's no surprise that every couple of years they do get these great runs in Europe because they get the balance right. Like we all remember that run to the Europa League final under uh, Peter Bose when I suppose that was the kind of first year of the delict um, Frankie de Jong sort of team. And then sort of the end of that group's run was that Champions League semi-final uh, when they got there and Spurs knocked them out in, in sort of dramatic fashion. Like, when you're really clever, and they are a very clever club, and you know you scout correctly and you develop players incredibly well, and you've always got a pipeline to the first team, and players know that if they go to Ajax, they will get opportunities. They will get their day in the first team, and then it's just up to them to take it, to take the opportunities that are given. And that's why they continue to have the type of success that they have domestically and then in Europe they're never a team that you want to draw even when they're in a a bit of a rut they can just produce one-off performances no matter what the 11 is Ajax just have this history of always turning up oddly in certain games even if they're getting battered the week before and the week after when things click for them because like I said the balance is always very very good they can be really impressive. And with the way we're playing at the moment, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat us on Wednesday night. And you said you wouldn't go as far as to making them favourites against us. The only team I'd make us favourites to beat right now that we have lined up in the next few games is Derby. And even that's a stretch because we'll probably play a bunch of kids. Like, we're just a mess at the moment. And they're they're quite ruthless domestically. Now, whether they can translate that to the Champions League, which they've sort of failed to do so far, remains to be seen. 
obviously getting walloped at home by Napoli was a, a big shock for them, but we got walloped by Napoli as well. Um, my expectation, Carol, is that they'll line up with something similar to what they've used in the last two league games. Uh, unless there's an injury there, I don't know that why they change it because the balance is working for them. And the team is playing well together. And then they have, you know, really good options off the bench like Kudus, like Ocampos, like Luca, um, who can come on and change things for them. Kenneth Taylor, when he's back, probably not in time for this game, can change things off the bench. But what about us? What do we do ahead of this game? Because something needs to change. Something has to change with this Liverpool team. Now, based on what Jürgen has said in recent press conferences, Ibu should be back. Darwin should be back. And Thiago should be back. We're probably a couple of weeks away from Matip and Naby being back. Um, and it'll be after the World Cup by the time we see Jota, uh, Artur and Diaz again. It could be substantially after the World Cup before we see Jota again. If um, if the rumours are to be believed that it's more than just a a torn calf muscle. Um, what 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 do you think we can do in this game to get ourselves back on track and secure our place in the knockout phases of the Champions League? Uh, I think it's pretty straightforward, to be fair. I think if the three that you mentioned at the start are actually fit and are actually you know ready to put in a big, big performance in terms of they're not just not injured, but actually fit, I think all three of them have to start. Um, Ibu in mm. the back, Brent obviously to come in at right back. Those two you would just expect to happen. Thiago has to play because Thiago has to play, otherwise Liverpool don't play. And I think Darwin has to come in. Um, I think uh, other than the fact that we will need to keep changing around that front line because of the, the work we're asking them to do. Not that a whole lot of it got done at the weekend, but in theory, what we're asking them to do, we will have to keep changing them around. Um, Darwin is the one who's played least and looks probably the most in, in form. Not in form necessarily is not the right word, but certainly sharpest, I think, is probably the, the, the word I'm looking for here. Um, he looks more energetic and lively and capable of running around and kicking a few people if they need it at the minute. So I think all three of them have to come in. Uh, if we do that plus Trent, then I think that there's mainly just one other decision to take, and that's who plays the left-hand side midfield role. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. So Ali and Goal, you're saying Trent, Ibu, Virgil and Robbo or Costas at left-back? I would play Robbo again. I think he did okay. Did okay. I think Robbo's the type as well that needs a run of games to really get himself back up to, you know, full Robbo madness, unless it's the, the sight of a, of a Man City jersey, which tends to inspire him. Um, is there is there any call here for Joe Gomez at right back, and maybe push Trent into that little role in front of him? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm desperate to see it. Yeah, I'm just see it once. <laughs> I think we will see it. To be perfectly honest with you, just by numbers and rotations and, and the amount of changes we're going to have to make game to game. But I don't think it's going to be in a game where we have to not make any mistakes. To be blunt, see, my my argument to do it in this game would be: all we need is a draw. The best way to get a draw is to keep a clean sheet. If you keep a clean sheet, you're guaranteed at least a draw. And 
Joe at right back does make us more solid than Trent at right back. So I wouldn't be against it for this one. Um, but it can go either way. In midfield, then, I 100% agree Thiago has to start because this team just doesn't function without him. Um, Fabinho had a stinker at the weekend. Now, not helped by the fact he was played in midfield with three children. But my assumption is that uh, the captain comes back in next to Thiago, despite the fact that midfield pairing doesn't really work. By rotation, it's probably his turn to start. So Henderson, Thiago in midfield. Um, I don't know then. Like Darwin, I, I agree, should be one of the front two. I don't know who plays in the other three positions, though. Is Mo on the right for you, or is he up front? I would go up front because I'd be tending to be a little bit more cautious with that positional play this time. So, in theory, it would leave us a bit more space to attack in behind. So, if Mo's up front, be on the ball. So, who's on the right wing and who's on the left wing? Because Elliot on the right again. Elliot on the right um, did put in a. Put in the effort, I would say, against Forrest. Wasn't good, but put in the effort. And then the question is, who plays on the left? And I am going to beat this drum until I get to see it. I think the best option with Jota and Diaz out is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Do you reckon he's ready? I reckon he's good. He's ready to play 45. Yeah. And if we can get 45 out of him... I actually wouldn't mind doing 45 and then if we're not losing be tempted then to bring on Gomez for him at the break then push Trent to right midfield Elliot goes left midfield and Gomez sort of blocks up the right hand side there I wouldn't be against that in the slightest because there was a couple there was many issues many (laughs) many issues with the team at the weekend but one of the real issues Carl was there just there was nobody who could stretch the play in the wide areas. Elliot's always coming short, wanting the ball to feet. Carvalho's always coming short, wanting the ball to feet. There's no one turning and spinning in behind a fullback and stretching the play. Serge Aurier is never having an easier game than we gave him at the weekend, and we should have been lighting him up because a he's fucking awful, and b he was injured. Um, the same thing with Nico. I mean. We watched Nico for Liverpool. We know Nico's not a great defender. But we made it really easy for him by putting up a right winger who, while talented, isn't quick and always wants to come inside, which is onto Nico's stronger foot. Like, we'd no pace to stretch the field at all. We didn't even swap them over at any point either, which was a, again, no. a bit of a disappointing thing for me because Carvalho plays it so, so narrow. He basically plays as a 10 when he's doing this yes. role at the minute. And, and like, it's fine if everything is in place elsewhere, but we didn't really have Robertson overlapping, for example. We didn't really have, uh, obviously, Bobby was nominally the left-hand side forward. He wasn't. He was dropping deep, so it was him, Jones, oh, it's actually him, Fabinho and Carvalho all in the same sort of area for quite a lot of that first half. Mm. Um, we didn't really do anything at all to, to trouble them. And like you say, this was a, a half-fit Aurea. He's, he's not even at full capacity yet. He was still coming off in the, the previous match because he, he couldn't get through the full 90. So, 
it was a disappointment. If Ox is not ready, and I don't know that he will be ready to start a game so quickly, I'd probably... If Ox is not ready... With Simicast. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Same. Yeah. Because he's... He's not rapid, but he is quick enough. And we he's know constant. he's got good delivery. He's constant with it as well. He, he does run, yes. like, non-stop. And having him there... You can free Robbo up to be more adventurous so that he can get forward because you know Costas can drop back in and be the left back. So you you get a bit of balance there. Um, Yeah, I I agree. I I think that has to be the way we go. Like, I don't think Bobby can start again because he's played so much football recently. And we know that Bobby, in recent years, has been prone to picking up the odd injury. Uh, which is natural when you're sort of Bobby's age, he's 31 now, and you play the way Bobby has played for his entire career, where it's a lot of running. I think it's natural to expect that he would eventually start to break down. I don't think anyone can be surprised by it. And if we look at from the beginning of 1819, he had four separate injuries, but only missed six games. One injury in. Um, 2021, missed three games. Last season, he had four injuries and COVID and missed a grand total of 25 games through injury. Like, and and one through COVID. So, you, you, ideally, you don't want to be running Bobby out there game after game after game and have him pull his hamstring. What, what you want from Firmino is to be playing every game, but either 60 or 30. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You get you know? maximum from him across that period of time, whichever way around you need to use him. And that can be both an offensive and a defensive change as well. So uh, the, the other one, obviously, to mention is Curtis Jones because he started and played the full 90. But again, that was his first reasonable outing since um, July. I think it's fairly safe to assume he's not starting this match. I would go even further because if like I'm not really going to count anything in preseason as uh, a real game because well, of course it just kind of kind of isn't. Well, March and it been his last one. I think it was March. Yeah. So if we if we look at Curtis last season and look at the end of the year, now he was. Spending a lot of his time um, on the bench. He started and played the 90 against Southampton in May. So that's, yeah, so five months, the 17th of May. Five months, his first real game of, uh, and, you know, extended period on the pitch. Um, And even with that, you have to go all the way back. Curtis has only played more than 60 minutes four times since we beat Leicester 2-0 at home. Leeds, Watford, uh, Villa, Southampton, and and then that one. So five times since a three-game run of 60-plus minutes in late January, early February. That's how little football he's played. He played for one minute against West Ham, one minute against Arsenal, got 77 against Leeds, 62 against Watford, 62 against Villa, 90 against, well, 94 or whatever, against Southampton. And then, what, 15 minutes against West Ham? Yeah. Was it even? 
He played about yeah. half an hour, I think. Of the, was it half an hour? And then 90-odd against um, Forrest. He's played so little football. And, the same and even going to be true of Ox then, who I think played against Nottingham Forest um, in the cup last was, year. <laughs> was hooked yeah. off, was unimpressed, and uh, was never heard from again. And he played um, twice in pre-season as well, I think, before his, his uh, injury and everything else. So yeah. he's had no football at all this year. No, exactly. So if anything, we're, we're probably going to have to look at Ox and Curtis for the moment while they work their way back almost being kind of one player yeah. who we can sort of use for minutes. So Curtis got the, the big minute load at the weekend. He's obviously a little bit ahead of Ox um, in terms of fitness. But yeah, Ox played 62 minutes against Norwich in the league. Uh, so the Forest game was his first time playing in the Premier League since February the 19th, so eight months ago. Um, he did play against Norwich and Forest in the Cup, 90 and 64 minutes. That was in late March. So seven months, seven months since he had made um, a real appearance of, of more than 60 minutes, uh, which obviously is less than ideal. Um, and you, you do feel bad for these lads because, you know, they're both very likable personalities, and Curtis is a local lad who it, it means more to him to play for the club than for most others. And Ox is Ox might be the nicest guy in the world. Like he might be the most popular person in the squad in terms of how much his teammates adore him and how much everybody wants him to do well because he just seems like a really genuine fella. But the poor lad is just riddled with injuries, absolutely riddled. And obviously, you know, last season, the, end, the funny thing is, at the end of last season, he wasn't injured. He just wasn't getting a look in. Um, now, his reaction to being taken off against Forrest might have played a part in that. Um, he could be seen complaining as he left the pitch. But we're going to need him now because we've left ourselves in this situation where our squad is 210. Um Look, there are at least a couple of options. One option that cannot cannot be used, and I must stress this, cannot be used, <laughs> is Elliot Wright, Carvalho left. It just, it can't. They, they made it work in the second half against Rangers, where one of them would come narrow and the other one would stay wide. But in this one, it was one of them coming narrow and the other one staying wide and no switching. It was always Carvalho narrow, Harvey wide, or both of them narrow and nobody wide. Carvalho never offered us the width we needed. And I was thinking about him yesterday. I was sort of going through the squad in preparation for today. And, you know, who who might you sell? Who can you use where? And I was thinking about Carvalho because he's quite an, an unusual player in terms of position. That he doesn't really fit into how we play because his natural role is as a 10 behind the striker. And I wondered, like, like, moving forward, is the best role for him almost to be a backup to Salah? Where, you know, you look at Darwin and Jota as your nines, and then Salah and Carvalho as sort of nine and a halves. Now, he won't ever get as many goals as Mo, but he can get goals. He does have decent, like, short-distance speed. He's got great movement in and around the box. 
and he has decent creativity. So as a backup to Salah, who's not the same type of player at all or, or has any way the same level of talent, but I wonder, is that the best use of him moving forward? I saw Sam Maguire um, talking to Cy Brundish yesterday about, you know, we could do with another wide player as a backup to Diaz because none of the players we have other than him are sort of natural in that wide left role. Jota can do it, but he doesn't really like to be that wide. Carvalho's clearly a bad fit there. Um, I was thinking, could could that be Carvalho's role it, when, if and when Bobby leaves? Carvalho sort of becomes the fourth forward player, and we maybe look to bring in uh, another left winger. With, like That's probably a better option. Then obviously we do need two or three in midfield, and we could probably use one more in defence and whatever else. But would you look at Carvalho as someone that could maybe, you know, Spell Mo on on seventy five. You bring him on instead of Mo, and he plays just off of Darwin. Yeah, for sure. I think if we're playing quite a, what is quite a flexible four four two, you want to have ideally probably two players in your group who can play right the way across what we would nominally call a four two three one line. And Cavalio is one of those. We don't really play with a ten, but he plays like we just said, almost as a 10 from the left-hand side. He would play almost as a 10 from one of the centre-forward positions. He'd play a little bit deeper. He would be involved in quite a lot of the combination plays. And he is someone who will shoot on site, which is really, really important uh, when you're you're playing with maybe one creative, one build-up player, and then two forwards, basically. You need a couple of people who are just willing to have a go from anywhere. Like, you could feasibly say... Elliot could get a run as a 10, basically. He could, in terms of taking it on the turn and playing little combination passes, but he's not someone who's going to shoot as much. He's not someone who's going to get beyond the defence. We've already seen Carvalho do that. He is one of the few players that we have who is really happy to run behind all the defenders. In fact, that's where we created our only chance of open play note, I would say, against Nottingham Forest. It was his run in behind the defence. So... I definitely mm. think that it's it's possible to do that, not as a, a, a nine by himself, but in a two-man attack, yes. Yeah. He's got a bit more freedom. He's got someone to play off. Uh, so I would definitely... And we saw him play off Mitrovic to great success yeah. at Fulham. And not just that, but also the fact, I think, that um, he, he would probably be less likely to take defenders' attentions, to be perfectly honest. So if there was a game yeah. where we had, I don't know, let's say Jota or Diaz is back or whatever, and they're playing left side, and Salah was on the right, he would be more likely to find spaces himself, moving in the channels, yeah. not being tracked by three men on Salah, not being tracked by the two men on Darwin or whoever it was. He would get gaps. One thing he did really well last season with Fulham was he'd sort of drop off into midfield and if a defender followed him, like he'd just lay the, he'd get the ball, lay it off very simply and he'd turn and put on the jets and he would fly into the penalty area and get on the end of a, a low cross. And any defender that was trying to had gone out with him would struggle to get back with him. And then defenders who didn't go out with him just wouldn't see him coming in. And he would just arrive in right in front of them and get on the end of things. And he got a few goals last season, one at City um, from exactly that type of thing, had dropped off a bit deeper and then made a big burst into midfield, into the penalty area. So he could be much more of a threat. Have I told you my favourite Bobby replacement? Not not in terms of like for like, but in terms of bringing in a squad player who can play a multitude of positions, left wing, 
through the middle, could play right wing as well. Um, you're going to be surprised by this if you haven't heard this, but he's available on a Bosman in the summer, and I think he could be ideal because I think he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder and wants to win things. Unless it's Memphis, I don't know. It's not Memphis, but you're on the right track. Go on. Will Zaha. Yeah, and I'm as shocked as anybody yeah. <laughs> that I've gotten. But I've I've completely sold myself on this yeah. because I think in the last couple of years he's really, I think he's really matured as a player. I think he's become far more efficient with the ball. He's obviously scored a lot more goals last season than he did when he was involved in acts of terrorism under Roy Hodgson. He's got that versatility. His ball retention might be the best in the league. He can pick the ball up anywhere in the pitch and carry it 60 yards. His passing has developed. He's a far more unselfish player now than he used to be because he's playing with better teammates at Palace and he's realised, I can actually share the load here. It's not just on me because obviously the Hodgy tactics were all of you defend, give it to Wilf. Now, Wilf, you're going to be 40 yards from your own goal when you get this ball. So, you know, just the 60 yards to go, you're only going to have to beat six men to do it all by yourself. Now he's part of a functioning team. I think he's elevated himself as a player. And like I say, he could play all across that front line. I don't think the wages would be any more than, say, Bobby's on now. I think that's he's on about half of that at the moment at Palace. He's obviously got something to prove at a big club after things went badly at United. Um, for whatever reason it was, he just never really got the opportunities. Um, like on a free, if it didn't work, you could definitely sell him and make a decent amount of money. Yeah, I know there's a pretty decent argument for it, to be honest. He's, I wouldn't because he's just not the type of player that I want there. He's not the one that I want in that role. Um, but I can definitely see that there are arguments and there would be people who would be far more inclined to do so. And there's already been rumoured, let's be, let's be honest. Yeah, and um, apparently he is he is interested. Yeah. And, yeah, I, like, it, in our old system with the 4-3-3, I wouldn't have really considered him. But in this 4-4-2, given how Diaz plays the left wing role, I could see him working. I could see him working in the left wing role. I could see him working in a front two with any of Mo. Darwin or Jota. He can play on the right if you needed him to and do a job. And he works hard. Nobody's ever questioned his willingness to track back. So, I, would I don't know. I, I, he would be less inclined to be all the good things that he has been if he's not playing every week, which he wouldn't. He mightn't, he mightn't start every week. But if he started one and three and got half an hour in the other two, with his versatility, it would mean we could manage Mo a little bit better. He could be the guy that comes on for Mo on the hour, one game in three. He could come on for Diaz, one game in three. He could start the next one. I don't know. I, I have myself sold on this. And nobody's going to talk me out of it. And <laughs> Sam Maguire, if you hear this, you're not talking me out of it either. Sam Maguire will release a piece claiming he's too expensive because that's what Sam McGuire likes to do to all my dreams. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say, uh, JC Tyrone, I would say 
about 180 to 200k a week probably gets Wilf done because he's on about 90 at the moment at Palace. Like, they're not a club that can pay big wages. So, yeah, I mean, four-year contract, three-year contract maybe. I know he's, what, 29, 30? But he's, I, I, I can see his game aging quite well. Um, he's very robust. He doesn't get injured all that often. You're more likely to lose him to a suspension than a, than an injury. So yeah, I I'm I'm fully in on this because the biggest reason though, Carl, is because I just think we need like we're going to need to go and buy at least two central midfielders over the next two windows. And I would say if we're going to stick with this four four two, we need a starter on the right hand side. Now, his teammate, Michael Elise, would be one of my very first picks for that role. Um, the other one will be somebody we've talked about before in Rafinha because I get the feeling he might end up being the odd man out of Barcelona with Usman deciding that 2022 was the year he was just going to take over the world. Um, and obviously Ansu Fati now back to full fitness and just being absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, no, JC, I would let Bobby go because he has... Oh, you're talking about Mo and, and Jota. Or Mo and Zaha. Fergie kept strikers into the 30s. So did Wenger. And Wenger didn't win a league title for 13 years. So I don't care what Wenger would have done. Um, you... Trossard would cost 70 million and wouldn't get in our team, would you stop Mo? He's not on a free either. So he's just not on a free. He's got two years left on his deal because they have club options. The same thing with Alexis McAllister. Um, Wilf, Wilf makes sense because it saves the money for Caicedo and whoever to go next to him and someone to start on that right wing. Now, you're all told. Um, what's your prediction? What's your prediction ahead of this game? Given that our reverse jinx is now over, um, what would you predict for this game? One. Say again? One. One, one. And I'd take it right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think I will join you in a one, one. And I would absolutely take it now. I think, I think we should just ring them and say, look, lads, can't really be arsed. One, one. You'll find your way into the Europa League, and the Europa League's a bit mental. So you might go and win it. You might be able to go and win it this what, year. What you don't want, if you're an Ajax fan, is that hope going into the last game. That's the worst bit. You have that yeah. hope, and you think it could happen, and then they let you down. Don't do it to yourselves. Just take the one-one now. We'll save you that heartache. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because look, the, the the honest truth of it as well is. Napoli are probably sending a very heavily rotated team to Anfield for the final game. Unless they decide that it's really important to them to win all six of the group stage games, I just don't see Napoli risking Osimian, Kivica, Lobotka, Zielinski, uh, Kim. I, I just don't see them risking those key players, because the big thing for Napoli this year is that 
right now, Syria is theirs to lose. They're three points clear of Milan. They're every bit as good as Milan. They're more terrifying going forward. And, I mean, you know, Lazio, Atalanta, Roma, Udinese, they're all inconsistent and not quite as good as Napoli or Milan. Inter and Juve are varying degrees of crap. So I would say it's them or or Milan to win the league this year. And that's where their focus should be. Because, look, you win the league there, you're getting a statue built in your name. If you're the manager of Napoli who wins a league title, given they haven't won one since Maradona was, you know, best friends with all the mafia and high as bedamned on cocaine, you're you're an absolute icon, an absolute icon at that club. And for Spalletti, who's had an interesting career, but is disliked at as many places as he's fondly remembered, this could be his legacy, is this title. So I could see them rotating a fair bit against Rangers, beating them anyway because Rangers aren't very good, and then sending largely a reserve team to Anfield, which means we could we, we could get a draw. <laughs> I won't say a win, <laughs> but we could get a draw against Napoli's reserves. And strong. Two draws to finish. <laughs> <laughs> scraping our way. I'd rather we got a draw and lost the other one and like just scraped our way in. Um yeah, I mean God Carl, it's October. How is it that in October we went into a Premier League game with James Milner right back and three children in midfield? How has that happened? It's all down to the system change, mate. Would have been fine otherwise. <laughs> the four-three-three was working well. Milner would oh. have been midfield if we'd have still had three in midfield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, f- oh Jesus Christ! It shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this. Um, I even saw Brundish admit that he believes that this era of Liverpool is over. That this team has had their day. I still think there's a blueprint there to win this competition, though. I think what we saw against City, that way of playing, I think that way of playing can win us a European Cup. I think if you put Gomez in for Milner, Brent in for Harvey, and Diaz back in over Jota on the left, I think that team can still go and win the European Cup largely by doing what Real Madrid did last year, which is shithouse your way through games and rely on individual moments of genius from, in our case, Mo or potentially Darwin or Diaz, in their case, Benzema or Vinicius Jr. I think we can do that. I genuinely do. But we can't do it. I don't believe we can do it playing any other way than what we saw against City. Now, if we get, you know, if we get an easier draw in one of the knockout stages, maybe we can be a bit more open and expansive. But like our, our way of winning this competition is going to be not conceding goals, being as strong as we can, because we will nick a goal. Like we will nick goals over two legs with this group of players, which if we're rock solid at the back will be enough to get us through. And that's the, 
the entire way I'd approach the rest of this competition. Got to get through this bit first, though. Yes, yes, we do. Right, we will leave it there. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. Follow Carl at Carl Matchett on social media. Read his work on The Independent and at times on This Is Anfield. Um, you can follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle on the Twitter box and uh, don't follow me because it's just not fun. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.